While you're standing, bow your heads with me, please. O Lord Jesus, send the wind of your Spirit. Take us even now, Lord, each one of us, as we're in your presence. Inspire us by your own Spirit, Lord. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. Take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and with that wind, fan to a flame our desire to serve you and please you and obey you. Set our hearts on fire with love for yourself, Lord Jesus. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, please be seated. It's amazing what gets to happen when you, it's almost as if I would want to come and speak to you individually and personally, when you take what Jesus commands you seriously and go do it. Not because you think you're adequate, that can get in the way, but because he has taken a hold of you and given you direction, clear direction. And you do what he tells you. Simply do what he tells you. There is power in that. So over last week, this week, and this coming Sunday, that's next week, we are dealing with a series on the Great Commission. That's the close of Matthew's Gospel where Jesus, already now crucified and resurrected, meets with his disciples and gives them direction, clear direction. That same direction devolves, that is, comes down through the ages to us. It's a clear directive to us. He says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of this age. That's known as the Great Commission. Those are the last words of Matthew's Gospel. But the very idea that God commissions. That's not an invitation. That is not a suggestion. And that's not Jesus saying, well, look, if you're in my team, it would make me very happy if you'd play along with this game. A commission is an order, and we are empowered with that order to go fulfill that command. And too often, the Great Commission has become the great omission. It gets left out. Primarily, I would think, because we're concerned for ourselves and our own needs, and we work so hard at developing ourselves, and we never ever get to put it to work. So we're forever learning, but in some sense never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Somehow growing, longing to grow, desiring to grow, but never exercising that growth. And so for all the growth that there may be somehow internally, we are inept, 
powerless, disconnected from what God really wants us to do. I was thinking to myself, how would it be if uh, the Steelers, who've been working out at camp, playing this afternoon against New York Giants, if they said, look, we're not really ready for this game and didn't turn up, what if they said, hey, we're going to check out this season. We need another year of practice. It sounds absolutely ridiculous. Some of you have been in camp for years, and you've yet to get on the field of play. Get out there. Go after it. Pastor Robbie was up here encouraging you to invite somebody. It just crossed my mind, because we like to plan ahead. We like to know that we have done our invitations and we know who's coming and it's all settled. Some of you have already said, I've blown it for so long, I've run out of time, how am I going to get this done? I was invited to go and hear Franklin Graham's dad over 50 years ago now. Sounds astounding to me. I was a teenager walking out of church on the week that that church was going to go and hear Billy Graham preach. And the minister at the door said to me, will you come with us? I was by myself. I wasn't connected. I was just more or less visiting the church. Some of you know I went there chasing a girl who'd broken my heart. So I didn't know anybody, and the minister didn't really know me, but he knew I wasn't one of his flock. And he said, will you come with us? I said, when are you going? He said, tomorrow, Monday. I said, yes, I will. That week, I gave my life to Jesus. And the invitation I'd only received that very week. Well, you've got a whole week ahead of you to get that done. And the power of going after just one person. Here I am, your pastor. One person, as I check back over my life, it's amazing what has unfolded since that invitation. Do you get it? That simple invitation. On my desk right now, I've got a photograph of that man who invited me, in black and white, sitting on my desk. He's a legend to me. Because everything I have, by way of the hope for heaven, forgiveness of all the crap and filth of my life, to have the wife I have, the four daughters that I have, the five grandchildren that I have, the friends that I have, all spring from that one invitation. The power of that invitation that you extend as part of God's commissioning you, sending you out to get it done. Let me just back up and give you a few of the things that make it a reality for you to go get it done. The most important is this. If you say you take Jesus seriously, we've sung some powerful words here. We've said some powerful things, 
And even just to pray the Lord's Prayer is a powerful deal, especially if we mean it when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because when you include yourself in that prayer, your will be done in my life on earth as it is in heaven, you've got to be about the business of sharing the good news of Jesus. You can't say, I'm too shy, I don't know enough. If you know Jesus, you know more than enough. If any part of what we've said or sung here this morning is real to you, you've got enough. Just do what he says. Go get it done. Because he said, as the commission, as part of that statement, all authority has been given to him, Jesus, me, he said. All authority has been given to me. Speaking of himself, how much authority? All authority. Do you know what he goes on to say? In heaven and on earth. Not just for you guys. All authority. He's the Lord of heaven. He's the Lord of glory. He's the Lord of earth. He's got more power and authority than our president, or our senate, or our house, or any potentate, any sovereign, any king, queen, or princess. He's got how much authority? All authority. And he commissions us and says, go. That is the number one reason we need to be about it. Not just the need of the people. And they desperately have that need. As you heard Franklin Graham say, and all kinds of people popped up on the screen as he was saying it. There are people that you have the opportunity to reach who are right now are on their way to hell. And they've got desperate needs. And time is running out. Their time is running out. And you never know, never know, when your time is up. All authority. So he says, go. Now the Jesus who said go is the Jesus who just a few weeks before had died on the cross for our sins. He knows what the power of that gospel is. He is the one who has initiated the gospel, created good news. So when he says go, that's the one who's giving the commission. He knows what the gospel is. He knows what its power is. He knows everything about the persons that you go speak to and their deep, deep need. If we could ever get that picture clearly. Yes, he sends with authority, but under that authority, when we go, we're going out to people who desperately, desperately need to hear what Jesus has to say and what he's done for them. I want to quote to you from an amazing document written by Amy Carmichael. What's wonderful is you could even go on, I'm not asking you to do it, but you could immediately get out your little iPhone and find out who she is. 
But Amy Carmichael went as a missionary at the beginning of the last century to India. Single woman, never married. Ended up doing amazing thing and a writing and writing amazing books. One of which was Things As They Are. Anyway, in that book, I want to quote, she describes the desperate need, and here she is working in India. By here she is, I mean them, working in India. She said, the tom-toms thumped straight on all through the night, and the darkness shuddered around me like a living fiendish thing. I could not go to sleep, so I awoke and stayed awake and looked and I saw and it seemed this, that I stood on a grassy edge of a precipice and it broke sheer down into infinite space. I looked but saw no bottom, only cloud shapes, black and furiously coiled, and great shadowy shrouded hollows and unfathomable depth. Back I drew dizzy at the depth. Then I saw the forms of people moving single file along the grass. They were making for the edge. There was a woman with a baby in her arms and another little child holding on to her dress. She was on the very verge. Then I saw more streams of people flowing from all quarters. All were blind, stone blind. All made straight for the precipice edge. There were shrieks as they suddenly knew themselves falling and tossing up of helpless arms, catching, clutching at empty air. But some went quietly and fell without a sound. And then I wondered, with a wonder that was simply agony, why no one stopped them at the edge. I could not. I was glued to the ground. And I called. And though I strained and tried, only a whisper would come. And then I saw along the edge there were sentries set at intervals. But the intervals were far too great, far too wide, unguarded gaps. And over these gaps, the people fell. Once a child caught at a tuft of grass as it grew at the very edge of the brink of the gulf. It clung convulsively and it called, but nobody came to hear. Then the roots of the grass gave way, and with a cry the child went over, its two little hands still holding tight to the torn-off bunch of grass. And then speaking for herself, she said, and the girl who longed to be back in her gap thought she heard the little one cry. And she sprang up and wanted to go, at which they reproved her, reminding her that no one was absolutely necessary anywhere. The gap could well take care of itself. They knew. 
And then they sang a hymn. And then through the hymn came another sound, like the pain of a million broken hearts wrung out in one full drop, one song, and a horror of great darkness was upon me, and I knew that it was the cry of the blood. The night I received that invitation, I was on my way to hell. I accepted that invitation to go and hear Billy Graham. And the good news that Jesus had loved me enough to die for me. And that I could give my life to Jesus. And that he would come in and take possession of me and make me his very own. I grasped at that. The very idea that I could begin again. A new person with the living Christ inside of me. I would trust that all of you have experienced that so you know exactly what I'm talking about. And the Great Commission under the authority of Jesus with the same compassion that Christ had that took him to the cross. The Apostle Paul actually made this statement that the love of Christ compels him to go share that good news. Please, in Jesus' name, go get it done. In this passage from Luke chapter 10, as it was read for us, Jesus appointed 70 and sent them out two by two, 72 rather, and sent them out two by two to every town and place. And he sent them to go and preach the good news, to heal It's an amazing scene. Nobody knows who those 70 were. This isn't the 12 disciples. This is 70 others who'd been hanging around Jesus, teamed them up two by two and sent them out. The impact of that, verse 17 of Luke 10, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In the act of those 70 being obedient, who knows what they knew, but he sent them out. Their impact was so powerful, not only did they return with joy expressing what God had done through them, but Jesus said, in that act I saw Satan, as lightning fall, come crashing down, defeated, beaten. And it actually goes on to say that Jesus was filled with great joy, verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. So Jesus was thrilled out of his mind. Satan was brought down, and Jesus is glorifying God because these simple childlike believers had gone out in obedience to him, 
and had such a powerful impact. The power isn't ours. It's not what we do, but it's communicating Jesus to others. There is power in that. Terrific power. So as we spend these moments together right now, I want you to take seriously that there is a harvest out there. And Jesus wants to use you in it. Quite extraordinarily, that's what he said when he sent the 72 out. Listen to these words. This is Luke 10, verse 2. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. You go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Go get the harvest. The word go, literally that command, go, means we take the initiative. We're the action people. We're not waiting for the harvest field out there for somehow to take the initiative and come say to us, what is it about you that you're such a wonderful person? What is it you know, that, that you know that I don't know that I need to know because your life is so great? I'd like to be like you. Oh, that that might be the case. But we don't sit around waiting for them to take the initiative. We've been given the command to go, and that literally means that we are the ones who are taking the initiative. So let's go get it done. Trust the Lord. Be obedient to the Lord. And go after that harvest. There is almost a parallel situation in John's Gospel, chapter 4, where Jesus has met this woman at the well. The disciples have gone to get lunch. Jesus was weary. He waited at this well just outside this little Samaritan town. And a woman came, and Jesus gets into a conversation with her. Just one woman. She had no idea what was going to happen to her that day when she got up, took a water jug, and made, herself, made her way out to that well. But she met Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples are back in the village shopping for lunch. In the conversation... I'd love to spend a lot of time opening up that passage. But in the conversation, she becomes convinced he's the Messiah. Because she said to him, how... I'm tempted to get into it. I've got to stop. He said to her, go fetch your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you are telling the truth, lady. You've had five, and the one you're living with is not your husband. She becomes convinced he is the Messiah. And she goes back to the village, running through the village, saying, come and meet a man, there's an invitation, who told me everything I've ever done. Well, they knew her reputation. She'd been through five guys and was living with a guy, not her husband. She thought, boy, that would be... If you heard that, you'd think there's some story out there. In any case, the village comes back. They all come out to meet Jesus. And so do the disciples come back with lunch. And do you know what the disciples spent their time doing? 
They said, Jesus, stop teaching these people. Come and have lunch. We've been shopping for lunch. We've got lunch. To which Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And then he said to them, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white or ready to harvest. Same injunction. Lift up your eyes. Look at the fields. They're white or ready to harvest. There's a harvest field out there. Wherever you go, in your neighborhood, wherever you work, school's out, so it's not school. Wherever you go, there is a harvest field. See it as your harvest. Be there on point for Jesus. Let me close with this, because it just goes one by one by one. Back in the 1800s, there was a kid... I mean, he was a teenager. Hadn't finished school, didn't have much schooling, was not very well spoken, butchered the king's English, and he was a shoe salesman in Boston. He was a very aggressive salesman. He was an aggressive kid. I mean, on one of the lines was this, when some woman said, these shoes are too small for me, he said to her, lady... The fact that your feet are too big isn't going to stop you buying these shoes, is it? He didn't blame the shoes, he blamed her feet. Very aggressive salesman. A very shy Sunday school teacher had on his heart to go speak to this lad selling shoes. He walked up and down on his lunch break outside the shoe shop trying to get up the courage to go in and talk to this lad. Because the lad was brash and the Sunday school teacher was shy. Sunday school teacher went in, spoke to the lad, and the lad at the back of that shoe shop prayed and asked Jesus to come into his life. That lad was D.L. Moody, the Billy Graham of the 1800s. Go read some books on D.L. Moody. It's breathtaking. Moody, with his influence touched the life of a baseball player in Chicago and that baseball player got serious about the Lord and went out as a preacher. His name was Billy Sunday. Another very famous preacher from the 1800s who had an immense impact. Billy Sunday in his preaching touched the life of a guy check this name out whose name was Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham. Would you ever go and listen to a guy by the name of Mordecai Ham? Well, Mordecai Ham became a preacher. And some farmers in North Carolina asked him to come and have a tent mission in their neighborhood. So Mordecai said yes. They put up the tent, and he started preaching in that tent. And amazingly, a 17-year-old lad was attracted to go, caught, invited to go here by a guy who had a truck. And the guy with the truck said to this kid, 17-year-old, you come with me and I'll let you drive my truck. You know, baby, you can drive my car. You, get, you come with me, you can drive that truck. So this lad went. 
That lad that night asked Jesus into his life. That lad was Billy Graham. And Billy Graham came to England. And in 1954, was preaching in London. And as I walked out of the church, somebody said to me, will you come and hear him? And I went. That night, an 18-year-old kid gave his life to Christ. And that was me. How about you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know so much, even just from our time here this morning. So as you take over in our lives, and we get serious about you and your commissioning of us, stir our minds and hearts right now concerning that one person that we are to go reach out to and influence in a simple thing like inviting them to come with us to the Consul Energy Center next weekend. Who is that person for you? See that person in your mind's eye. Pray and bring that person to Jesus right now in prayer that he or she may be with you and come to know the Lord. Begin there with a simple invitation. So whether it's to go and hear Franklin Graham or the great music that will be performed or to invite them to come with you here or some other occasion that will get you into a conversation about what you believe. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.